My people, my people, welcome to another episode of our new hashtag racing family Twitter spaces show. Going to have the delightful Snoop Medley Med, as I lovingly refer to him, that being Chris Medlin. Have Chris for about a half hour. He is busy being his beautiful Formula One reporting self for Racer Magazine and racer.com so once again thank you for tuning in here to our hashtag racing family show it's like it's less than a week old myself and my dear pal chris wheeler who hosts this so gonna do about 30 minutes with chris gonna start off by saying thank you as always to cooper tires power the road to indy the Justice Brothers are automotive chemicals and lubricants, which are found in every dealership and most racing circuits. And then finally, torontomotorsports.com, their racing memorabilia is just fine. Just, just fine. So Snoop Medley Med, why don't you unmute yourself, Mr. Wheeler, unmute yourself and let's get the... Hello. Hello. How are you? We're well. How are you, brother? I'm not too bad. I've had a very strange week where... I uh, I didn't feel too great on uh, Tuesday morning. And before going to do some recording somewhere, I took a actual flow test and came out positive. So I thought COVID had finally got me. Today, I felt even worse. Did another test and apparently I'm negative. So um, I've, I've done, I don't know, three tests that all say negative at the moment, but I'm, I'm staying at home. So plenty of time to uh, write about just a few things that are going on in the world. There's a little bit going on, isn't there? Something about flags, I think. I don't know. Yeah, that was it, yeah. So. Blue, blue flags. Well, you have tested positive for awesomeness. So why don't we uh, kick <laughs> off the, uh, the half hour that we have you, mate. So in, in a normal world where we weren't in the midst of a war that was kicking off, we would probably limit the conversation to recent testing in Barcelona. The, the term porpoising, which I think many Formula One fans are learning for the first time. We'll get into all that in a minute. Why don't we focus on what you've been writing about just now, just filed and got free to uh, join us here. This ongoing saga with, quote, and I'm using big air quotes, America's Formula One team funded by (laughs) Russian oligarchs and war and not great stuff. I'm sure everybody who's tuned in knows the story, but for those who maybe don't, why don't you just catch us up with what's been going on with Haas Formula One Nikita Mazepin, and some not very fun stuff going on in Ukraine. Yeah, so it's it's been a bit of a week, I think, for a lot of people in the world, but um, Gunter Steiner's had a, a busy spell of it. So when we're at testing, uh, the Russian invasion happened, and uh, Haas is the only team with a Russian title sponsor and a Russian driver. Uh, we're obviously centre of attention. And to be fair to them, they moved pretty quickly. Uh, Gunter was... Um, pretty hot on it, spoke to Haas Automation, spoke to a load of other partners within the team. Uh, I don't know how much I actually spoke to Oralkali and Dimitri Matsapin, who, um, Nikita Matsapin's father, who runs Oralkali, um, or Oralkali, or I'm, I'm still, my pronunciation is terrible. But uh, they they agreed to remove um, all mentions of it from the car, from the transporters, from the motorhome, from their social media, and took the you know took the colours off the livery basically. That was uh, they've always maintained it's not a Russian flag livery, but it, it's a Russian flag livery. So um, they ran in plain white for the final day of testing. Uh, Matt Pin did drive on that day, uh, and Steiner said you know it was tough for him. Uh, you know he's 
not a part of it as such, but it's, it's like he's obviously caught up in it himself as a driver. Uh, and they were just kind of responding as quickly as they could for that final day. And then this week, uh, Haas would kind of work through the legal side of things to see where they stand. And you didn't need to be a genius to read between the lines. The way he answered questions about Nikita's future and the sponsorship future, it sounded very much like you wouldn't see uh, Oragli on the car anymore and wouldn't see Nikita driving again for the team. But it's not as simple as Haas just going, okay, we've dropped him and we've cut ties with the sponsor because it was a lot of money. Uh, it was the money that they turned to to keep the team afloat through COVID, and and they need that. They can't, you know, they can't just instantly fill it without um, trying to put some kind of contingency plans in place. So if they're the ones as well to to end the the deal, and there's nothing that legally says Oralkali um, and Matsupin's side have done anything, you know, against the contract, then it would be harsh liable to pay a penalty for ending the deal as well. So they've got to look into a lot of these details to make sure it doesn't actually ruin the team. Steiner insists that they're well placed, that they can kind of ride it out. Uh, I think Gene, you know, he, he, he's a wealthy man. If he needs to support the team for a bit, a bit longer for more than he was expecting to, I believe he's kind of committed to doing that. And other partners are being spoken to to work out if they can up their commitments. So there, there's a lot of talking going on behind the scenes at the moment to kind of see where um, they're going to come out of it in terms of who will drive and who the sponsors will be. But at the same time, you had calls from the IOC for Russian competitors to be banned from competing on international stage and international competitions because essentially that's sending out the wrong message from an Olympic standpoint. Uh, And the IOC recognises the FIA as a governing body, so this is why it involves motorsport. Um, But from an Olympic standpoint and the Olympic values, they're saying, well, the Ukrainian uh, athletes are very much hampered right now. A lot of them have actually gone to fight in this war. Um, there's, There's world champion boxers that have gone home to um, to try and fight and defend their country. So it's not really fair uh, to then have Russian athletes competing. So that was why that recommendation was made. The FIA ignored it and kind of said, oh, well, you know, we'll do what FIFA have done and ban the teams that are Russian, uh, the Russian national teams, sorry, because we have loads of those in motorsport, don't we? We have, you know, that's the way top-level motorsport works. We have all these na- national outfits everywhere where, where England are taking on Scotland and the USA and stuff. As you air-quoted, Harsa apparently american um so yeah it's that was to me that was an absolute cop-out and uh that passed the buck on to others to make those decisions so motorsport uk followed uh sweden and finland's um kind of lead today and said they're not going to allow russian and belarusian athletes to compete uh they're not going to allow them to race in competitions in their countries uh to to make a united stand and there are a lot of very innocent people caught up in the whole thing when we look at it from a motorsport perspective, there's a lot of uh, innocent drivers and teams and team members that will be caught up too. Uh, but it's about having a united front on this. And I, I, I think it is the right decision to say, no, they can't compete as it stands. But now the FIA is saying that their international sporting code will kind of supersede that. As it, so essentially, I think the FIA then need to approve the governing bodies, the, the national governing body stances that they don't want these drivers to compete. Um, so that could get very messy still. Uh, and it's just, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a, leaves a bit of a sour taste because there are some sports that are fronting up and going, um, yeah, this invasion is completely wrong. There's war crimes being committed and we need to uh, send a message to Russia that this is not correct. And, you know, as, as sad as it is that that will affect a lot of innocent drivers, sports people, um, it's, it's not as sad as what's happening in Ukraine itself. So uh, a bit of a shame that the FIA didn't front up on that and been writing about that a fair bit as well. 
But uh, yeah, it's kind of from Haas's perspective, left them trying to find uh, a way to ensure their contracts don't um, financially ruin them uh, and to essentially get two major pieces of the team back in place, a title sponsor and a driver. So um, yeah, not going to be the quietest week for them before we go testing in Bahrain next week. So Chris, um, I haven't been really paying too much attention to what the Twitter world's saying, the fan base is saying, uh, actually on a bit of vacation right now, but what's the vibe that you're getting when it comes to the pressure being put on the, the Haas F1 team? Do you, is it something where people are saying, look, Gene, we don't care about all the details and what it takes for you to do it. You need to do the right thing and just step up, clean house, get rid of the non-branded Russian flag, send them all packing, and just take it on your shoulders and figure it out on your own, but make the decision quick. Is that the vibe you're getting? Yeah, pretty much. And and part of that is unfair. One in the sense of, you know, it sounds so easy and simple to do, but when it's, you know, we're talking livelihoods are involved with this in terms of the teams it stands that the money that's put in by other partners you need to kind of take sensible business decisions even if they take a few days um but yeah everyone wants them to take the kind of right moral decision i think another area that's a little bit harsh though in the sense of um matsupin's been rightly a target for uh, quite a while based on some off-track um incidents he's had in the past where um he's not endeared himself at all to the fan base for some very questionable uh, behavior and because of that, he's sort of become the number one target where a lot of fan sentiment I've seen on social media has been, well, get rid of him because he's bad. I mean, the money you know, is very closely tied to Putin here with Oralkali, with um, Matt Spin's father's company or the company he runs. Um, you know, he's, one of, he's one of these that's got very close ties with Putin. So they look at that and go, right, so he's got to go. But other Russian drivers that I like, they don't need to. And they kind of overlook it. Danny Kvyat came out and said, you know, it's unfair to punish Russian drivers. And quite a few fans agreed. But Kvyat's had SMP racing backing at times in his junior career. And SMP racing is bankrolled by an oligarch very close to Putin. So he's kind of had very similar money at some stage helping get to the world stage. Now, it's not, you know, these aren't bad guys as, as drivers at all, but it's just kind of, this this money's come from a regime that is now doing terrible things, so that you know there there is no kind of um, white to the white situation in in this current moment where you can go well this driver's fine and this one's not. It's a very murky waters, uh, but yeah they want to see Matsupin gone. I think partly because people just don't like him, uh, whereas actually Gene needs to take a bit of time to go. Yeah, yes, that's what we're going to look to do because you know the team can't continue in this way, but we, we can't just make that call instantly without thinking about the repercussions we have to make sure we do it sensibly so i'm i'm pretty well versed in how a lot of the phrasing is done and a lot of the the contracts here in the state side um you know especially in the indy paddock one of the phrases that you know seems pretty common is you know actions detrimental right it's a, it's a it's a blanket phrase that is it honestly it's a bullshit cop out for a lot of things but it's still used and still enforceable um, obviously getting a copy of the Irakali contract with Haas is going to be difficult. If you can do it, my friend, it really impressed me. Yeah, we do have a, We're still waiting on that, buddy. Get to you work. Still have a, you still have a, you do have a check mark and we don't. So I feel like that means you could maybe, but regardless, do you feel like, you know, the, the other partners internally there at Haas and all of the, you know, these people could be brought down as well and looked at badly for the continued connection do you feel like what's going on is grounded enough if that's a phrase to say we've got to make the decision and here's why 
Well, I think in many ways they have. If you go to the Haas website, for example, they're just called Haas F1 team now. They're not Oralkali Haas F1 team anymore. There's no branding on there. They're not listed as a partner. But there's been no official announcement of what they've done on that front. Uh, there's been no announcement of whether Max Pym will continue to drive or who will replace him, that sort of thing. Uh, I think in, in many ways, like the decision's been made and that's probably been communicated internally to these partners. But a lot of these discussions are going on between uh, Gene Gunter is someone who is very involved in the business side of things as well, um, and the existing partners who all will have a given their viewpoint uh, in terms of the associations that they're willing to have or not willing to have. And don't forget, they were willing to have the association before this happened, uh, even though some people didn't like the Russian link. But then having had those discussions, they will have they will know what the sentiment is among those partners. They'll know how urgently they need to react. Uh, and I think they'll be keeping them well informed of of how things are unfolding. But I think part of it will include saying to them, okay, yep, yeah, we want to we want to kind of sever ties here. We need to. But here's, you know, for want of a better number, I don't know the exact number, but say it's $20 million a year, uh, a funding shortfall that they're looking to make up. They're going to their existing partners first and saying, how much of that can you increase your stake by? You know, how much more can we expand our partnership? So, okay, they'll give these partners more value, but how much more can they pay? Because some of those partners will probably want to do that, but whether they've got the means is another another matter right now. Chris, let me ask one more Haas-related question, and then we'll uh, uh, throw it open to a question from one of our uh, many, many uh, hashtag racing family members who are joining in today, and then uh, we'll, we'll move on to uh, recent Barcelona testing and then close the show. I'm saddened by the timing of all of this for Formula One. Obviously, F1 has no control over whether one country decides to invade another. But having just had what I would think was some very positive unveilings of new cars, some new liveries, folks generally seem to like the look of uh, the new formula and whatnot. We get into testing, and we've also got this situation now going on with Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine. Are you surprised at all in the FIA's kind of uh, flaccid response to dealing with this situation? And yeah, well, you can still play, but let's change flags and other things, which has only, I think, added more fire or I should say fuel to the fire of this uh, and kept this topic high upon the register in Formula One instead of maybe taking a more decisive stance and in theory, maybe closing that thread and letting us get back to uh, enjoying some momentum being built for the new season. It seems like, to me at least, tell me if you agree, their approach, which was kind of half-hearted, I don't know. It doesn't seem like they've helped themselves get the uh, the delight of a new season coming back on track. No, not at all. And I don't think they were ever likely to be able to get the focus back onto the new season just yet with everything that's going on. I think it's it's overshadowing everything, understandably. Uh, but I, I'm not surprised that uh, that there was kind of disappointment towards the FIA's uh, stance because it's, it's sadly becoming quite common that what the FIA does and the way it does it doesn't really appease everybody or doesn't seem to go far enough. Um, yeah, they, they don't always give full explanations of things. They don't always move that quickly and decisively. Uh, and it, you know, personally, I came so close to tweeting it. I, you know, I'm happy to say it now, but to me, I felt like it was a cop out yesterday. I felt like it was passing the buck and going, you know what? This is the easiest way out for us to say that we've kind of done something when we haven't really. So we don't upset too many people who have a lot of money and are involved in our sport. And then, you know, we kind of will let other people take their own action. 
But what will be really interesting to see is whether they then allow what the other um, national federations have started saying in terms of banning drivers and banning competitors and teams, uh, whether they let that happen or not. Because if the FIA's International Sporting Code supersedes those decisions, the FIA is in its rights to turn around and go, no, you can't do that. Now, if they're going to say that because they've made their own decision and they want everyone to stick by it, I won't agree with it, but that will actually show a bit of backbone in the sense that they, you know they've got a, an actual firm stance. If they then let the others tell them what they can and can't do, uh, or you know make their own calls and, and they follow them, then it shows that they weren't willing to make the decision for themselves. And that's a complete lack of leadership from a brand new president, which is uh, a real shame to see. And and um, yeah, it's it's not the best foot to start on. It's uh, it's not an easy situation. I, you know, I'd hate to be in in this position to be having to make those sorts of calls myself. Um, but it is one where um, I think values and morals needed to to come first. And I think still um, there was more to the decision the FIA made, which is what frustrated and disappointed me. But even the fact that three uh, ASNs have come out instantly, basically, and, and said, "No, we're going to do it this way," that shows that there's not unanimous agreement and backing for what the FIA have said and done so um, yeah so far it's like the biggest one is UK uh, Motorsport UK because they host British Grand Prix um, so yeah that's that's the, the biggest statement of uh, dissent I think from another governing body that's a national one and uh, that shows that I don't think anyone's really particularly happy and probably weren't surprised by uh, the FIA's position because they were ready to come out quickly this morning and go now we don't agree with that well, Chris I don't I don't know what Marshall's doing. It sounds like he's getting attacked by a cat, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I do know that from experience, it's not that difficult for somebody with parents born in different, that are nationals of different countries, even different from the country of which they have their, their current passport from to simply make an appointment in another country and get a dual citizenship. And so as do you see that being a workaround in something like that, or is or are the codes written to protect that? No, that's so certainly you, a workaround. That's that's okay, absolutely yeah. one. Yeah, th- because uh, a racing license is like, or a driver's nationality in racing is based on their racing license and where they get it from, not based on their passport. So, if another country is willing to give uh, a driver a, a license, they they can get them. Uh, Ed Jones is one of the examples that he, you know I think he was born in Dubai, wasn't he? But you know, he's, he's a British driver, really, but races under the UAE um, flag. Uh, I think it was uh, Andy Zuber, who was Austrian-born, raced under the UAE flag as well. Uh, I was looking at Robert Dornboss not that long ago, who is Dutch, but raced for a season in F1 under the Monegasque flag because that's where they got the racing license from for that year, basically. Uh, well, and yeah, others others can explore that, but it does also then come down to those uh, federations wanting to give a racing license to these people. So uh, if Mazepin goes to any other country, essentially, and says, uh, look, I, I want a racing license. You know, how do I get one? Because I need it to race in F1 this year. It's up to that country to say if they want to want to do something with it or not. Chris, why don't we uh, why don't we move on to talking about Barcelona and what we saw there? And if any of you would like to uh, request to speak, uh, please do so. We might only have time to uh, take one or two of you. But Snoop Medley Med, uh, why don't you give our little hashtag racing family uh, here? an insight from what you saw. And that's the thing that I love about you, man. Uh, I'm not asking you to review what you read. You were on the ground as a proper reporter should be, 
tell us, give us some general thoughts of what you saw in Barcelona. We know for those who've looked at, obviously at the uh, fastest laps over the multiple day test, we saw some familiar teams towards the front, some familiar teams towards the back, but give us some flavor of what you saw on the ground. Uh, well, firstly, I saw some awesome looking racing cars. Uh, I really like the new, uh, what the new regulations have given us in terms of how a car looks uh, about, you know, still very, very quick cars, but um, yeah, I think they look awesome. And um, I've got to give a plug to Alpha Tari because Josh Cruz is on this and he works for Alpha Tari. So he'll have a go at me if I don't say his car looks great. But I didn't put it in the top three liveries this year. Uh, he'll be di- uh, disgusted to know. Um, but yeah, there's some, there's some great looking cars in terms of just yeah, uh, looking at them out on track. In terms of the way they perform, we had a really big issue with, I think you mentioned it earlier, but poor poising, as we call it, um, or essentially cars bouncing up and down where. There's so much power coming, downforce coming from the floor now or being generated by the floor that essentially as the car lowers and gets closer and closer to the track surface, it, it, it essentially touches it, loses all its performance because there's suddenly nowhere for the air to attach to the floor. Uh, the car rises up and then it, the airflow reattaches and it pushes it back down. And this happens so quickly, it looks like the car's bouncing up and down down the straights. And it's a real problem for drivers. I spoke to quite a few that were saying that, yeah, it wasn't particularly nice. Uh, Charles Leclerc was chatting to us about it before he left at the end of the final day. And he was saying that, yeah, in the car, you don't see a lot at all. Um, It's not particularly enjoyable. But that's been the big test for each team now to get on top of. And that was one of the good things of being able to be there and be trackside was watching these cars and seeing how they handled it. Because while Mercedes went quick late on and and Lewis was doing some um, runs on the softer tyres at the end of the final day, so that looked like a little bit of performance running. Only a little, but not every team used those tyres. Uh, Red Bull also looked quick at certain times. Both of them did have moments where they had this poor poising going on. The team that I never saw having trouble with it was McLaren. And McLaren looked very good. They looked very strong. They looked solid. They ran consistently, did a lot of mileage. That didn't seem to be an issue for them, uh, which could prove to be a big advantage if they're the only team not trying to solve that problem over these coming couple of weeks. And instead of just looking at getting more performance out of their car, Ferrari similarly did have it at times, but at other times it looked a little bit more settled. And that car looked very, very consistent and, and quick. And I think the, the good early signs we got from it were that Ferrari and McLaren looked pretty much on the level of Mercedes and Red Bull, certainly you know, closer than they had been last year, uh, which wasn't anywhere near a given based on how rule changes tend to spread the field out and you think the bigger teams would get an advantage from it. But secondly, there was a lack of running for some teams, but nobody seemed to be miles off the pace. I mean, we talked about Haas just now. A lot of other teams, talking to some of the Williams uh, team members, and they were saying their design office said the Haas is a really sophisticated car. You can see how much effort and time had gone into that car because they wrote off last year. And I think pretty much, even though all the designs were very different, there was no standout team that was struggling. There was no definite backmarker. And it could well be that we have a field this year that will be, the starting point will be similar to the end point of last year in terms of field spread. Now, that's actually a really good place to be because normally you get a much bigger field spread at the start of regs and then they close up over time and then we change them and they open up again. If they can start close, then they'll only get closer and we're going to have a lot of really good close racing. So um, that was positive. Plus the following looks easier, which is what the regs was, were decided um, designed to do. So uh, yeah, there's there a lot in, of positive signs in that sense. So we've got Ryan Terpstra with us, Ryan, uh... From day one, which was like less than a week ago, follower here on our hashtag racing family, Ryan. Why don't you unmute yourself and uh, you got a you got we got time for a question from you and then one from Mary. Appreciate the uh, invite, uh, 
Chris, and, and thanks for having me, MP. Chris, I think the last time we've really had a, a big, big regulations change was back in 2009. Braun came out with a double diffuser. Do you think there's an it item that everybody's going to have to copy that you saw on any of the cars? If, if a team thinks they found that it item, do you think it was even on the car in Barcelona? So that last part is a very good question because speaking to the F1 technical team, they said, no, they'll hide it. If there's something that, they're, that they think is that good and it's legal, um, it's going to be the last possible second that they're going to unveil it. But there doesn't seem to be anything that's worried anyone so far in terms of Formula One helped develop these rules. They had a, their own technical team uh, led by Pat Simmons that did a lot of research to try and make sure that these regs did what they were intended to do. They had to be based on actual facts, uh, actual evidence. They couldn't just say, well, we think if we change this, it'll improve racing, or maybe we should try that. They did loads of research, and they worked with the teams themselves to kind of get a bit of feedback on development directions and how the rules would be exploited. And then once they'd got most of the rules in place, they then turned themselves around as if they were a competitor and trying to break those rules and trying to find loopholes like the double diffuser, try and find things that they didn't really want to happen so they could close off loopholes before they became a problem. And they think they did that. And that wasn't to stop innovation. That wasn't to stop teams having different cars. And as we've seen, I don't know if anyone's seen photos of them, but we've got some very different designs this year, even though they're pretty restrictive regulations. You, you can see, I mean, the Ferrari looks so different to the Red Bull and to the Mercedes. It, it's, it's really quite cool to see how much variation there is. But what the uh, F1 technical team found was there was no clear loophole that was appearing from any design they saw on track or from any kind of route that they tried to exploit themselves. So they get the feeling that, that there's nothing that's worried them so far, that a team will come out and have something that will be detrimental to racing. Now, whether there is something hidden away that will still help a team take a big step forward remains to be seen. And, and like you say, I think, I mean, Bahrain test, probably the final day is when we'll see the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull you know, bolt on a pretty big upgrade that they're confident in. Uh, they'll have done the work in the wind tunnel. They'll have collaborated everything um, over the Barcelona test and, and the first couple of days in Bahrain. And then they'll go with uh, a, a big step towards the end of that week. But there's, there doesn't seem to be anything that will hurt the racing side of things. So if anyone does have an advantage, it, it should be, you know, it'd be well earned, but it also shouldn't really hurt what the intention of the rules were. And that was the big concern that F1 had that they seem to have covered off. So uh, nothing we saw from from Barcelona, but yeah, I think you're right that it will be later that we'll see it if there is something. Awesome. That's a great question, Ryan. And uh, Mary, final question here for this edition. Hi, thank, thanks for letting me up. Uh, I wanted to ask Chris, Chris's opinion. We have sort of tweeted each other. I was a bit mad when I tweeted you, to be honest, Chris. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was in AD. I'm still no trusting the FIA in any which way form whatsoever. Are they going to actually release the report on the 18th of March? And my other opinion is I think they should be independent stewards. I just wanted your opinion on that. So in terms of releasing the report, we don't actually know. Um, it was something that when we spoke to Lewis at the Mercedes launch a couple of weeks ago now, and he said, I, you know, I don't think it's out yet. I'm hoping it'll come out. I haven't seen it. But he didn't seem overly worried about that. Uh, he felt that kind of whatever they had researched and analysed, the action was being taken on it. Um, and he was more concerned about that action 
kind of regaining his trust and confidence. But uh, he he was I think he was expecting there to be more that came out, uh, and he wants it to be made public to fans as well. But we haven't had confirmation that that will be the case. And it was something that the FIA had kind of promised when they uh, made their statement in December that they were going to kind of clarify so much so there wasn't this confusion, as they called it, um, a misunderstanding uh, among fans and teams and media, which was uh, not a smart way of putting it at all because I don't believe there was misunderstanding uh, at all. There was just ambiguity about the way things had been handled, but that was not a misunderstanding on anyone's, you know, the fans' part or the team's part or the media's part. So hopefully, yes, we will get more, but no, there's been no official confirmation that when that um, hearing next week happens that we'll get it. Uh, and I fully agree on the independent stewards. Uh, I'm hopeful that this new race control structure will mean that there's more permanent stewards that are used because they don't have to travel around the world all the time. You can have a permanent set of stewards that are in, yeah. I, I imagine it would be Geneva, um, at, at this kind of virtual race control uh, who will be more likely to commit. But uh, part of it is, you know, if you think of the sacrifices that teams make, drivers make to race, they were actually finding it very hard to find stewards that were of the right quality, the right level, uh, who maybe had knowledge of racing or had raced themselves, who would commit to going to every race and being a steward. Uh, mm. And, you know, it's not it's not a highly paid position. And it should be. It should be more professional. But but that's not where it was at. And that's why we had that problem. But fingers crossed this, this new race control structure will mean uh, that they're able to move that way, at least with one or two, I think. You know, even if they don't do it with everybody, if they can get a couple that are, that are permanent that will be independent, um, then that would be a, a step in the right direction. I agree with you. I mean, I fully welcome like the race directors. I know, I know one of them, the Le Mans one, and I'm pleased with that. And I remember when Charlie and Herbie used to run it. I've been watching F1 since the eighties, and I remember all that. Charlie was no nonsense. Uh, mm. But I welcomed what Lewis said about the uh, drivers texting Michael Massey. I welcome what he said because there shouldn't be that in this sport. I love the sport, but I don't want the sport to be like entertainment-wise as a sport. It's not. If I wanted entertainment, I'd go and see a show in Vegas or something, something like that. I want it for the sport. I love it for the engines. I've watched all these engines over the years. Oh, God. My first experience was... Uh, my dad came me to Silverstone to see, well, he used to love Graham Hill, but my first real sort of driver that I liked was Mansell. Mm. And I just loved Nigel Mansell and partly Damon Hill. But then I seen Lewis in 2007. I've been supporting Lewis ever since then. But I just want the sport to be sport, not like a, like a WWE type of thing. I just want it to be the sport. Oh, Mary, and I love that, WWE. Come on now. I, I want to yeah, see Lewis like, diving off the top rope like, and doing cage matches. I'm just kidding. The only wrestler I ever liked in WWE was The Undertaker. <laughs> That's a great call. I was, Mary, I, I was a Hardy you, Boy uh, sort of man myself. Thank you so much for uh, bringing us the last questions here. Chris, I know you do indeed have to run. Let me tell folks that uh, Monday's uh, episode of the Hashtag Racing Family show where we had the entire podium 
from the St. Pete IndyCar race, including race winner Scott McLaughlin, Will Power, Alex Pillow, and then a bunch of other drivers for about two hours. Going to have that posted here on my regular podcast page very soon. Coming up, we have more. Going to speak with more IndyCar drivers, some IMSA. Going to continue uh, cracking open Formula One, which has been a lifelong passion of mine, although I primarily cover American motorsports. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more here. And we do certainly appreciate the couple hundred of you that showed up impromptu uh, to join Snoop Medley Med. Chris, why don't you take us home uh, as I th- say thank you once again to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com by telling folks where they can find you on the interwebs and what other things you have going on folks might tune into in the future. Uh, so I'm on Twitter, funny enough, as you can see. Um, Instagram as well, Chris Medland and Chris Medland F1. Uh, Racer is my main outlet for writing Formula One news and features uh, and also do a bit for Motorsport Magazine here in the UK as well, where I sometimes rant about what's going on in the world. Uh, and a few bits now I'm doing um, some sort of Q&As with Zoom and Discord with the Autoverse uh, in, based in the US just to try and engage a bit more with with fans uh, and, and more stuff like this. So any of the above, basically, you can, you can pester me and I... I do read things even if I don't always reply to them, but I try and uh, reply as much as possible as well. So anyone who disagrees with me, feel free to come and shout at me. Chris Medlin, you're a star. Chris Wheeler, why don't you take us home with one of your patented closings? Well, folks, once again, it was a beautiful day here in the Twitterverse. Couldn't be more excited to have Mr. Medlin join us. He's an absolute legend, and we've continued the streak of having only verified guests, or at least one in each of our shows. It has been a beautiful time with you as well. There's a lot going on in the world. All I can say is look around you, whether you're in an office or a public place, or even if you're at home and you've only got your cat like Marshall does to talk to, tell him you love him, tell him thank you, and just be good. That's all I ask. Be good to everybody. And, uh, man, we'll be here back soon. For Medlin, for Marshall Pruitt, I'm Chris Wheeler. This is the Hashtag Racing Family, and we'll see you guys soon.